Hey, just before we dismiss the kids, um, we have a little something special we're going to do each of the weeks leading up to Christmas. And we actually need some kids in here because kids are experts at what we need to do. Let me give you three concepts that are pretty hard to imagine. Okay, these are really, really big words. The idea is always, everything, and without end. Always, everything, without end. I want you to think about products. What if products could somehow always work at everything and never stop working? Like, we can't even fathom a product like that, right, at all. How about relationships? Always faithful in everything without end. Man, we want that. We want to lean into that. But we can't, it's hard to even fathom that. And yet these are kingdom of God words. This is what we celebrate around Christmas time specifically. And here's what's more is that we're not called just to notice or celebrate these concepts. We are called and invited to participate in these concepts. Let me read a short little couple of verses for you and listen for those three concepts as it relates to God's will for your life. Let me set the context. This is for Christians, not for super special varsity, all pro pastors or missionaries. Welcome, Steve Irwin, in the house this morning. Uh, very good. To, one of our missionaries is here. Let's give it up for Steve. I tend to see Steve at Christmas time, which is, which is really fun. Um, but not for some varsity people. These are just for regular everyday Christians. Okay, listen carefully. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You ever want to know God's will for your life? Come back to these verses. Right now, you can rejoice. Right now, you can be praying. Right now, you can be giving thanks to God in everything. We're going to unpack this a little bit. Um, but let me just say this. The way that we participate in this kingdom living is found right there. It's in obedience. There's a mystery to what I just read. Some of you have objections. Wait, rejoice for this? Wait, be thankful in that? And unless we have God revealing the mystery of how the world is actually working and unfolding, we would left be thinking that, that can't possibly be. What we're going to do uh, this season is we're going to uh, be discussing sort of the Jesus way of life, particularly as it relates to this Christmas season. And what I need right now is I need a volunteer um, whose name is Caden. So do you want Caden? You're right here in the front row. Give it up. Hey, give it up for Caden. He didn't know he was going to be a volunteer this morning. But kids are exceptionally good at a lot of things. But one of the things they're really good at is opening presents. So guess what, Caden? Yeah. See that present? Yeah. It needs opening. Can you do that for us? Yeah. Are you a pro at this? Yeah. You're going to get your practice on. Okay, go. Here's the one rule. It, you have to leave it where it is. So open it. Just rip it open from the, from the top down. Go.
keep going. He's like at half, halfway, half time. Keep going. Look, he's thorough. I love this. All right, perfect. Now, on the count of three, we're going to actually lift this open, okay? Just straight up? Okay, I'm being given directions from that. We're going to lift this straight up. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. Shake it. What do we have in here? Oh! All right. So, this is our first icon, which is worship fully. What's going to happen, Caden, is all through the month, we're going to have these sort of displayed. Okay? So give it up for Caden. Now... Isn't it fun when you open a present and then your parents are like, oh, wait, there's something else in there. Keep shaking, keep looking. Guess what? There's actually something very specifically for you inside that box still. So I'll help you find it, okay? Let's look. Let's lift it up. Do you see anything else in there? Pull it. Get it out of there. All right. We almost lost him in there. Okay. Can I read it since I have the mic? All right. Here's what it says. It says, gift of relationship, this certificate presented to, we'll have to write your name in there, Caden Pitagoy Aaron, this coupon entitles you to one FIFA World Cup style soccer lesson from Lucas, or, or one worship leading lesson with Lucas, keyboards, drums, or vocals, awarded on November 27th, 2022, Merry Christmas. All right, there you go. So, lessons with Lucas. With that, we actually need our kiddos to be dismissed off to class. Uh, You better keep that in safekeeping. I actually have a pen, Caden, that I will fill that in so we can know that that was actually you that got that. All right, kids and teachers, head off to class. Um, The rest of you, I invite you to open up to Romans chapter 12, which is where we will get to momentarily. Now, thanks to Chuck last week, we learned that the World Cup is going on. Um, most, most Americans need to be told that. The rest of the world is very, very keen on the fact that the World Cup is going on. Um, but the World Cup is a reminder of this truth, that you were born to be great. You were born to be great, part of something great. Uh, the first game the U.S. played was against who? Wales. Okay. Now, Wales... I just learned this this week. This is great about FIFA. You can kind of jump on the bandwagon once every four years and care about soccer. Um, but Wales, <laughs> deep offense being taken over here up to my right. Um, so Wales, this is only the second time they've ever made it in their lives. And as they're panning through the crowd during the national anthem in the opening, you see just tears streaming down person after person after person. Every single person. Lucas, you're trying to like get us like, hey, engage. Like, don't let your soul be shy. Like, sing this out. Every single person from Wales in the Wales section was all in. They were hands raised. They were tears streaming down their faces. As I'm watching that, it's actually quite moving to see that and realize that part of the story is being told in the stands. Man, we yearn for greatness. We yearn to be part of something great. But that's only part of the story, right? Part of the story is the stands, and then the other part of the story is happening on the field. And these people, part of what's so fun about any kind of sport during the playoffs or something like this where every second matters during these games. Everyone is trying their best to accomplish the goal of winning that particular game. But here's the reality. It's hard to be great, isn't it? It's hard to be great. 
Greatness is difficult. And if you get there, it's hard to stay great. Just ask the Los Angeles Rams right now. Okay? Again, I know there's some deep hurt going on. God's the God of all comfort. He'll help you through this. But it's hard to be the Super Bowl champs and then come back and play great the next year. So what happens with it being difficult to be great is that people begin to cheat, to lie, to steal, or to fake greatness. Those things all happen all the time. And people just give up on greatness. I won't have you raise your hands, but there's probably some of us who are like, yeah, I've pretty much settled for mediocre. I just realized, like, I just keep getting let down going for greatness, so I'm just going to settle for mediocre. Here's what's amazing, is when people settle for, um, for being on the stands, watching others perform, watching others participate, watching others play, while all along we are called, in the game of life, we are called to be on the field. We're called to be active in what's going on, not just cheer other people on. So I'd say it this way, you were born to participate in greatness directly, not just indirectly through other people. I want you to know for this season, I've been praying for you. As I pray for our church, I often think about specific faces. Sometimes I come and I pray right here. As I pray right here, I kind of envision this moment. And I've been praying, God, would you allow us as a church community to experience and encounter you afresh this year? Pray that something goes on in this season. Whatever's been going on in our life leading up to this moment, uh, every year is a little bit different because of that. So I've been praying for you to encounter true greatness this year, that you'd encounter wonder in this season. But that's not all. I've actually been praying for something more. I've been praying for you to enter into the wonder. Not that just that you would see it or experience it or cheer it on or sing about it or think about it or pray about it, but that you would enter into the wonder that's going on all around you. So the idea of encounter and enter in is sort of going to be like a picture frame. It's like a canvas that we're going to sort of frame all that we're doing to in this Christmas season. And it fits perfectly with this first theme of worship fully. So I'm going to leave this somewhere up here. And these little icons are just going to kind of uh, prompt us along as we go uh, in this season. I know that you're in Romans 12. If you'd like to, you can flip over to, to, to Luke chapter 2. Uh, or just close your eyes and listen to a couple of verses as I, as I read them. Familiar Christmas passage. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Do you hear the greatness that's being announced? Good news of great joy for all people. With those words, the angel, which is simply one of God's messengers, was issuing an invitation Not only to behold the baby, but to become part of the story. Some of you may have already done this. Some of you may be about to do this, but you're going to set up a nativity scene. Think about how many people entered the story. Right in the middle of responding to an invitation, they actually became part of the unfolding drama that God was telling. 2,000 years later, I continue in that tradition. Now, I'm no angel but I am a messenger of God. 
And I'm not a messenger of God because of a degree from an institution. I'm not a messenger of God because of some title that other people may ascribe to me. I'm a messenger of God because God himself bestowed me with it because I'm a Christian. So as a Christian, I have the authority to speak forth the things of God. Christian, hear me. You don't need permission from your church, from your pastor, from an institution to proclaim and be God's messenger. In fact, you're called to do it. The life of obedience is that we get in on this. We participate in this as Christians. So behold, I bring you tidings of great joy. It is for all people, not only to behold it, but to become. The God who made you and sees you and knows you, loves you. Those are staggering words. The God who sees you and made you, and knows you, loves you. More than that, he's done all that is necessary to bring you back to himself. Christmas is the turning point in history. Turns out that salvation has a name and is being born into the world. Talk about the idea of entering in. Jesus enters in. God enters into the story by becoming one of us. So worship fully is what we are called to do and to be. Let me tell you why this is so misunderstood at the outset. It's because we've shrunk the word worship to mean doing certain external things at a specific place for a specific hour in our week. Now, we know this well at this church because we talk about this all the time. That is not worship. In fact, I really resist the idea that we're going to worship now means we're going to sing songs now. Because when the singing ends, it implies that the worship ends, and that's fundamentally not true. It keeps sort of shrinking us back to this hour of worship here at the church. We're going to talk about some themes this month leading up to Christmas that have this potential to sort of last all year long. In fact, this idea of Advent conspiracy, this is like the the third time we've done this in 10 years. It's sort of a thing we've come back to, and we'll kind of preach it a little bit differently each time. But I I love this idea of us doing this together and sort of uh, developing some new traditions. Here's what I know, that traditions, like maybe you start a new tradition this Christmas season. And the the traditions that we begin actually have a way of shaping the trajectory of our life, of our family. One of the great things about being a young married person is like, we get to set our own traditions now. What are we going to do? What are we going to grab from our parents? How are we going to rope that in? But what are we going to do as a family? Traditions have a way of setting a trajectory for what this season is all about. I want you to imagine being a child and it's a rainy day, and you're sort of killing time when you happen upon a massive wardrobe in a forgotten room. Now, you might hear stories of people who are coming and going from this wardrobe, that there's this parallel world that exists, and there's all these magical things that are going on, and the fact that wardrobe world is actually better than the one that you are in now. But as much as you may hear stories and see little snippets of evidence of people being in a snowy, magical world, you would not really get it at all unless you entered in. 
You can encounter the wardrobe, hear stories about people in the wardrobe, but unless you enter the wardrobe, you never really get it at all. And to enter the wardrobe requires steps of faith, doesn't it? To enter the wardrobe requires that you act on things even though you don't have all of your objections and answers yet. Now, I am, of course, alluding to the Narnia series and the Pevensey children that C.S. Lewis created. We love watching those movies this time of year, and it's a perfect picture of worship fully. You can be around worship, you can encounter God, but unless you have that plus, encounter plus enter in, you never actually really get in on what's going on. And it requires faith, it requires commitment for you to step forward. What a picture this this is, uh, not only because of the enter-in aspect, but think about Narnia, think about the fact that it's kings and kingdoms and conflicts. And that's exactly what we see going on in the Christmas story. So Advent Conspiracy, as the video sort of laid out, was started by some churches that said, man, let's just get together and how can we make an impact this, this year for Christmas? How can we say no to a lot of what the world is telling us we're supposed to be doing at Christmas time? How can we be schooled in worship and what this season's all about? Not by Target, not by Amazon, but by the, the Creator. How can we get back to some of those things? So they sort of uh, banded together and sort of talked through these ideas. This idea of worship fully and spend less and give more and love all is kingdom of God kind of living. It's really bold. It's really ambitious. It's really impactful. And it all begins and ends with worship. They started with worship on purpose. That worship fully better be the thing that is starting this whole process off. It better be in the middle and it better be happening at the end. Because otherwise, if something other than worship is motivating us, all these other things tend to spoil. So spending less turns miserly and legalistic. And giving more can become really efficient and uh, utilitarian, but we lose relationship. And the whole concept or idea of loving all can morph into something that isn't at all love. So worship fully is very intentionally the first thing. It's the foundation and fuel that will keep us on track this month. And to do this all, we need Jesus. We don't just muster up this up by ourselves. We don't just say, well, we'll, we'll try and do this. This sounds really inspirational. I'd love to make it more meaningful. I'd love to be part of something big. Unless we have Jesus at the very beginning and through the middle and to the end, it's all going to sour. So we need his transforming presence. We need his promise to teach and to guide us. We need his love to empower us. So this week, worship fully is where we're going. I love this idea of Advent conspiracy. It's a really perfectly named little uh, movement. Advent, as as Matt and Tracy already explained, simply means coming or arrival. And so uh, themes of hope and anticipation and longing are going to be read about from the scriptures as we light the, the Advent wreath candles here leading up to Christmas Eve. So the arrival is looking back. It's, it's a month-long celebration and remembrance. There's a certain reset that comes with Christmas, doesn't there? Where you just go, that's right, these are some of the things that are important. 
And so it's going to be looking back at the first arrival, thinking on all the implications that that has. But the arrival is also, of course, looking ahead. Jesus promises us that he's coming back. Jesus has told us that there's this huge leash on the world right now. God is allowing the prince of this world some measure of rule. That's why we see the world the way that it is. The promise of Jesus coming back is he's going to make all things right. He's going to right every wrong. There is a day of reckoning. Every single one of you right now has villains in your story. They are damaging and hurting things right now. God has promised a day of reckoning is coming. We receive the promise. We hold on to the promise. We long for the promise. And there's a beautiful picture of us entering in to our rest. There's coming a day where we just get to enter into our final and wonderful rest. So that's Advent. How about the word conspiracy? Conspiracy is simply a secret plan by a group of people. A conspiracy is a secret plan by a group of people. And I want you to think about two things with this word conspiracy. Number one is this. We don't set out to worship alone. We always, always, always worship with God. We don't just worship God. We worship with God because God resides in us, takes up residence in us. But we don't just worship with God. We worship with other people. Lucas, I love how you said that. You've already made a choice. An act of worship is showing up on a Sunday morning and choosing to be with God's people in worship at the start of this week. Remember last week, we walk new by keeping in step with the Spirit. It's a doctrine of sanctification, our gradual growing righteousness, Christ forming himself in us. What I didn't get to last week was this picture very clearly and plainly has you walking with other people. Because we don't walk alone. We don't get sanctified alone. We don't worship fully alone. So all of these things are actually going to require, in fact, Advent conspiracy by definition requires others to succeed. It's not a secret plan by you. It's a secret plan uh, by a group of people. So number one is that we're together in this conspiracy But number two, I want you to think about conspiracy this way. Why the word conspiracy? It's because God's kingdom has always been at odds with the greater culture. Even in snippets of history where it sort of swings and it looks like, oh wow, the the government and the rulers and everyone's going to embrace Jesus Christ. It happens for like a brief blip on the radar and then it swings off in some other direction. Even when rulers get broken by God, shown their sin and repent, and then try to mandate, sort of from external power forces, the kingdom of God, it falters very, very quickly. So it is always at odds with the greater culture. The Christmas story shows us a clash of kingdoms. I want to show you one short passage that we're going to look at. Um, and, and it'll, it'll sort of reveal this. But before we do, we're going to look at Romans 12.1. This clash of kingdom requires a new way of being and doing. 
And what God teaches us is this, the way that you enter into this kingdom, function in this kingdom, participate in this kingdom, is is a brand new way of thinking. These are perfect instructions for us to know what does it mean to worship God fully. So a very familiar passage, listen to it with the lens of worship fully, okay? Here it is, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you hear the all-in worship language here? The idea of presenting your bodies a living sacrifice? The idea of being transformed? And then right in these two verses is this hint of this clash of kingdoms. It's spiritual worship as, as com- compared or contrasted to something different than that. It's talking about this world. Don't be conformed to this world. Implying that there's some other parallel world going on. So think of two kings and two empires for a moment. I love this quote by Timothy Keller. He says, God hides himself in history, but doesn't hide in his word. I want you to watch a short video here in just a second. And what I want you to do is I want you to sort of watch how it's easier to see the meaning behind the historical events of history when it unfolds at supersonic speed. It's really hard to know what's going on in history because we're confined to live it one day at a time. So we don't get to see sort of the big, broader picture. But I want you to watch for two kingdoms, a divine spiritual one and a human earthly one. It's going to unfold before you. I also want you to use your ears. Listen to the language of a really common Christmas song that we sing. Dominion over the whole world is what is at stake. And I want you to see as we sort of watch this painter uh, do some incredible things with their gifting. So watch this and check it out. Okay, a whole lot of the story in there, isn't it? Packed into just under three minutes. So history has a way of, of hiding the meaning while it's happening, but the word makes things plain. So much of what we just watched, those of us who've known and read and studied the Bible for a long time, it's moving to sort of see this arc of a storyline that's going on. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and I just want to read for you uh, these verses of the more than a thousand some verses that, that Luke has in his gospel. He spends seven on the birth of Jesus Christ, a really pretty small shrunk down amount. But I want to read it because it uh, really highlights um, some of the things that we're talking about this morning. Luke chapter two, verse one it says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger 
because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, thinking about the Christmas story in the realm of kings and kingdoms, we read this and we say, what kind of king is worshipped and joyfully obeyed 2,000 years after he was born? What kind of king is that? Beyond that, what kind of kingdom is cherished and honored and celebrated and sung about? Think about this. Not just in public, public rallies, public gatherings, but in intimate, private home settings. And not just by one culture or one region or one or two languages of the world, but by the whole world. What kind of king and what kind of kingdom? I can tell you, it's a heavenly king and a heavenly kingdom. We see the effects of this for 2,000 years. We can't begin to think of another reign or ruler that is like this. So in isolation, it's not clear what is happening. But even these seven verses, especially with the gift of time, And getting to sort of look at history in a broader way, it reveals the bigger story. Caesar Augustus is issuing commands over the whole world. The governor of Syria is mentioned. Then this special baby is born in the humblest of circumstances. So let me set our brains for a moment to think of the Christmas story in terms of kings and empires. Empires are what people are building and ruling. And whether it's ancient empires that now lay in ruins, or whether it's non-geopolitical kingdoms, here's what I mean, like an entertainment empire. There's even a show, I'm not sure if it's even still on, called Empire. And I think it's about building an entertainment empire. Jesus would come to be known for proclaiming the kingdom of God. He'd go on to die under a sign that reads, the king of the Jews. Hear all this kingdom, king language? He's known today as Jesus Christ. Christ is not a last name. Christ is a title. So Christmas is a story of kingdom come. Like all kingdoms, there's titles in the Christmas story. So let's sort of think through some different realms. In this short passage, seven verses in Luke, we see Caesar, that's a title, governor of Syria, and David, Israel's most beloved king. So beloved, they named a city after him, the city of David. Jesus, Lord at thy birth, is what we sing. That's from some Christmas carol, right? Now, what we actually know, because God doesn't hide himself in the word, he explains himself in the word, is that the Bible dates it earlier. John the Baptist wasn't the first to proclaim Jesus Lord. It was actually his mom, Elizabeth. Elizabeth's song, Jesus is Lord, before his birth. And if you turn in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, we actually see that Jesus was Lord long before his birth or his conception. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. That's talking about Jesus. So that's titles. How about domain? Augustus's decree went out to the whole world. Quirinius governed over Syria. Jesus' birth, though announced by angels, was for the whole world. His death was for the whole world. He sends his followers, where? Into the whole world. 
to make disciples. If we're, if we're halfway paying attention, we can see and smell a conflict brewing here, can't we? One governor and ruler putting out decrees and rules for the whole world, another one coming and doing the same thing. What else do kingdoms have? Kingdoms always have laws. Why a census through the entire empire? Well, it may have been for numbering purposes. It may have been for taxation purposes. But probably even a bigger part is just sort of the pride and power um, and, and, and prestige that all of that sends. Let me count my kingdom. Let me count my wealth. Let me see how great we are as an empire. This is about how most empires think. Jesus came and the law was in disarray. We saw the Ten Commandments being given, right? And in Jesus' most famous sermon, he goes and he takes things that are found in the law and he exposes how instead of protecting and serving the people, they had actually become something that was being used to serve sinful appetites. He says in Matthew five seventeen, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. And then he teaches by explaining what it was supposed to be all along. He talks about our personal relationships and says, yes, of course, we aren't to murder. But beyond that, he calls out anger toward one another. How about sexual ethics? Of course, we're not to commit the outward sin of adultery, but he calls on the unseen sin of lust over and over and over again. What Jesus is doing as he talks about these laws is he's warning severely about these. Don't ignore what is seen, but see more than what is visible. Pay attention to the inner life. Pay attention to a whole world that sort of exists in parallel with all that we see. So kings and kingdoms have titles and and domain and laws. Uh, Finally, one more, they have glory. Think about sort of the empires of the world, past and present. Rome had a certain kind of glory, ancient Rome. So does New York City. New York City at Christmas, I've never been there, but I've seen lots of pictures and lots of movies. There's a certain glory to all of it, isn't there? Fame and power and wealth and stuff and pleasure. All of those existed in ancient Rome. All of those exist today in the world's big cities. Turns out, Human nature isn't as different as we think. Think about this. Ancient Rome, today's modern cities, with all their glory, come with greed. They come with sort of external force to keep things in check. They come with lust and enslavement and pride and deceit and on and on I could go. Things haven't changed much. How about the glory of the kingdom of God? John chapter 5 says this. How can you believe... When you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. There's just a different kingdom going on. There's a different kind of glory. John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. If you're newish to Christianity, you'll hear a ton of talk about glory and praise and power and types. Why? Because this is a kingdom. This isn't just one of the world's religions. This is the kingdom of God that Jesus came to announce. So to see the true superpower and glory of another kind, it sort of requires a new way of thinking. 
That's what Romans 12, 1 is talking about. It's that we need new eyes. We need new ears. We need a renewed mind. In fact, come to think of it, we need a heart that is soft and perceptive to the things of God. When so much around us calls for our attention to put our focus on the temporal. It actually requires an entire new self. Jesus said, you must be born again. It's the heart transplant. We talked about this two weeks ago. It's the starting point of worship fully. It's the spark of God. It's the breath of God. Lazarus come forth. It's calling us from spiritual death into being alive to the things of God. So Christian, this is us. This is what we already have. We already possess it. We simply need to step into it. I love this opening image of a, of a kid making snow angels, this, this card on your, on your chair. It's one thing to sort of look at that and think that's fun and sit in the car or sit in the cabin. It's another thing to be invited out and go make a snow angel yourself, to go and play, to go and participate. Christian, this is yours in abundance. And again, this does not come from me as your pastor or fellow Christian. This comes directly from God. Neighborhood Bible Church, we are conspiring together to live and tell this good news. To announce by word and by lifestyle this empire every single day. Earthly empires never last. Think of those opening words, always, everything, never ceasing. That's kingdom of God stuff. Earthly empires never last. The things some of us are pursuing right now are going to deeply disappoint you in the very near future. The kings and kingdoms of this earth are deceptive or else so many really smart people wouldn't be pursuing them and participating in them. God, help us as we train our eyes to see the things that you're doing. God, I pray for our church. I pray for myself. Would you renew our minds today? God, help us not to conform to just the the hustle and bustle and way things are. God, if we do that, help us to be doing that with intentionality and kingdom of God purpose as we go along with that. But God, at the start of this season... We set our minds on you. We take every thought captive by you. God, we need you every single moment of every single day to train us up and to guide us in this. God, I pray for older saints in this room. God, some who have no enslavement to sort of the consumeristic Christian, uh, consumeristic Christmas thing that's going on. They've been there, done that, and they've lived to tell the tale. And God, I pray they would be heralds of a new and better way. God, I pray for those who are enslaved to this kind of thing, that you would tease it out of us, God, that you would weed out and kill the sin that's in us. Amen. Church, on your chair are a couple of things. Each week, we're going to give you either sort of a prayer prompt um, or some sort of a thing. And here's the invitation. You're going to write down your answer on this little, uh, this little piece of paper. And on the way out today, you're actually going to turn those in. And right near Christmas Eve, we're actually going to decorate some, some of our churches can be decorated with the prayers of the saints. So don't put your name on it necessarily, but just write out your prayer. And then on the way out, you're going to, um, you're going to turn those in. So here's sort of the garland prayer prompt for this morning. 
It's I worship you because. I worship you because. So again, just your own, your own prayers. Like why, why are you wanting to enter in fully? What is it about God that you're worshiping? So I worship you because. Secondly, sitting on your, uh, on your chair is one of these right here. Um, we have just, year after year, we, we've, we've put out this call. It's really amazing how many people will show up at church on Christmas and Easter. They'll come, they'll come once or twice a year. And most often, because a, a person that they either love or know or respect or are in relationship with has invited them. So the idea with one of these being on your seat is to begin praying right now for one good invite. To just say, God, some of you are amazing and you just cast seed wildly and you're like able to invite people left and right. Keep doing that. Take a bunch of these. But for, for everyone in the room, what, what if we prayed and just said, God, would you give me an intentional invite? Of course I want people to, to, to come. I played golf with uh, Lucas and Andres this week and uh, I was chatting with this guy a little bit and, um, and you know, I, I told him how we know each other. Hey, we all work at this church and this and that. And it was probably like back nine somewhere where, you know, I asked him about church. And he goes, yeah, all my friends are trying to get me to church too. And I said, well, you can't get through 18 holes of golf with a pastor without being invited to church. You know, so I just said, I said, hey, here's the name of our church. You're, you're welcome anytime and, and all that kind of thing. So, so one good invite just says, man, I'd love to have you, I'd love to have you join with me uh, this Christmas season. So we have sort of our, our info on here about our Christmas Eve service, what we're doing on Christmas, and all of that. The other thing I want to leave you with each week is a spiritual practice that ties into worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. And a practice is just that. You go and you practice something. So you grow in it. Sanctification is our gradual growing righteousness. Isn't it true that whenever you start something new, you're not very good at it? Yeah, when you're learning a new skill, it, it, like what, what you can predict is going to accompany it is some frustration because you won't have it right out of the bat. This first one is a little bit ethereal. It's a little bit out there. So some of you concrete thinkers are like, give me something uh, more concrete. Come back next week. You'll have it really concrete, okay? You'll, you'll be able to attach numbers to it. Ooh. All right, but this one... We're going to just do this. Here's the spiritual practice. The spiritual practice is to practice the presence of God. To practice the presence of God. And I want to empower you with with an amazing phrase. I've just been thinking about this. I can worship fully right now. No matter where you are, what you're doing, who's around you, who's noisy, who's quiet, what's on your mind, I can worship fully right now. For a while, putting my kids to bed, I had one of my kids, I said, listen, like right before we transitioned to bedtime, it was such a hard bedtime thing. And I would get, I would get this child, and I would just look at him, I'd say, what's our phrase? And he'd say this, I can be awesome at bedtime. I can be awesome at bedtime. Guess what? It was a statement of faith. Because <laughs> it wasn't happening right then. I can be awesome at bedtime. I believe that with all my heart. Bedtimes are for snuggles and for quiet and for prayer and for laughing and for hugs and for just sort of quiet. It wasn't happening that way. But I can be awesome at bedtime. You know what? Bedtimes most of the time right now are awesome. So I can worship fully right now. God, you're a good father. You wouldn't tell me to rejoice always if I couldn't do it. You wouldn't tell me to pray without ceasing if somehow there were moments I couldn't pray. And you wouldn't tell me to give thanks in everything unless you somehow were were with me and in me and teach me how to do that. So I can worship fully right now.
Van, would you come on up right now? This idea of practicing the presence of God was probably written about elsewhere, but made popular by Brother Lawrence. Um, and basically, he was this, this guy who was like, as he went through his chores, and as he did his little monthly duties, he realized that communion with God could happen just like this in a church setting with a Bible open with other believers around reinforcing the faith, and it could happen right in the middle of the most menial chore. Because God's with us. We actually don't bring God with us to work. We don't bring God with us to dark places. He's already there. So we just join in with him. Practicing the presence of God is just setting your mind on that reality. God, you're already here. I can worship fully right now. Teach me how. Because I know how to do it on Sunday morning. I'm struggling on a Tuesday afternoon in my cubicle. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your gracious love for us. Thank you for how you take us from where we are to where we want and need to be. God, we get to to come up every single week. We get to come as we are. But God, we don't stay that way because we follow a risen Savior and you are on the move. We receive and embrace the fact that you are forming yourself, your life in us. And God, we accept joyfully the responsibility, the participation that we are called to work out our faith with fear and trembling. We are called to participate fully, God, actually thinking of our bodies as a living sacrifice of praise to you. But I pray that you would just empower us with this phrase that I can worship fully right now. But help that to, to change or just maybe even slightly alter the way that we think about certain parts of our day that we're, our week that we're not looking forward to this week. God, would you redeem it into a moment of worship in Jesus' name.